Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. This show offers thoughtful conversation about the news of the day. and We try to expose the existential threats to America, and today's guest really does. Heather MacDonald, she's the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute, contributing editor of City, City Journal, one of the smartest people around, prolific, writes about all sorts of things. Uh, the essays we're dealing with today are talk about the feminization of the American University, how the Metropolitan Museum of Art has gone to political correctness and wokeness, and whatever happened to California, Golden State. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. I want to start at the beginning. I, you know, I pay attention to this stuff and the culture, and I, you know, I'm a Moynihan student, politics, you know, is downstream from the culture. The culture is what's matter. I was watching it. But I, I still feel like, wait a minute, when did this happen? I mean, I remember people saying, well, you know, dead white males, maybe we should read something other than dead white males. Maybe we should have some affirmative action. And oh, I don't know. OK, maybe Sandra Day O'Connor's right. You know, 25 years, it'll be over. But I, I didn't know that the boom would be lowered on us like this on all fronts so quickly. It's like, what, 30 years, 40 years, the, the late 60s, 70s? Now the world's up, turned upside down. It's upside down. I know. I, yeah, there are, there are ideas that are being put out there that are beyond what anybody of us thought. On the other hand, I, I never buy the idea that people said, oh, well, we always thought this was just silly stuff and humorous and it would stay put. I never felt that, and I don't think you did either. Uh, these ideas were dangerous from the start. Yeah. But right. at this point, uh, the the degree to which our leaders are willing to sell out the institutions that they are supposed to be defending, that they've given their lives to, whether it's humanities professors or people in science, doctors, heads of the AMA, heads of cancer research, yeah. uh, people who run operas or art museums, they're all willing to turn on their own institutions and traditions and say that they're merely functions of white supremacy is quite extraordinary. And I think a lot of this is driven by the fact that the academic achievement gap and behavior gap for blacks is, has not changed, has not, yeah. has not reduced. It's still, you know, we still have yeah. 66% of black 12th graders who don't even possess partial mastery of the most basic math skills. The, the number who are advanced in math doesn't even show up statistically across the entire country. And so we've gone into this overdrive of hysteria, claiming that everything about America is racist, and that's the only allowable explanation for racial disparities. And, you know, this was accelerated after George Floyd, obviously, uh, and and it's gotten even worse, whether in the criminal criminal justice field of not enforcing the law, not making arrests, not prosecuting, not incarcerating people or in, you know, meritocratic fields as well. The best explanation I can come up with is the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I'm having conversations with these people you're talking about, doctors university chancellors, other people. And all of a sudden they just start hearing this stuff and you just want to say, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? But they're not. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, but presumably they may say that about us. Like I, I know. I always I know. try to, 
I always try to relativize and say, okay, you know, hold on. We believe we have access to the truth. It seems very evident to us. We love to use the phrase common sense, but they think that too. So we have to figure out where do we diverge in our outlook. Uh, But I, I couldn't agree more. It is very hard to relativize one's own sense that how can it be that people within the education system actually believe that parents should not know about what their students are being taught or whether the, the, the school is deciding to encourage a gender transition, that parents don't have a right to know that. And not only are some, you know, the bureaucrats and school systems saying that, but presumably some parents are as well. Yes, I, I can't right. begin to understand that. I can't be- begin to understand that mothers are not on mass rioting over the possibility that there will be males in their daughter's bathrooms and that right. mothers are right. going along with the deliberate rendering of their daughters infertile for the rest of their lives yeah. in the yeah. name of, of trans sensitivity. I, I, I can't get my mind around that. And yet those people come out of a worldview that they find consistent and they think we're the ones that are the, you know, the, the outliers. And sports, you know, the fathers of girls. I, 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 I don't understand this. I mean, I know a lot of guys who spend a lot of time grooming their daughters to be great players or swimmers or something. Why? I don't know why they're not raising hell here. We get this six foot four guy from University of Pennsylvania who says he's a girl and comes to the locker room and the whole bit. And people don't want to speak up and only a rare few do speak up. And it's totally nuts. It's totally nuts. Well, it's, it's obviously nuts. It's inter- yeah. It's, it's interesting that you raise the fathers. I've, I've never thought of it. I, I think of it again in terms of mothers because they've been, yeah, you know, I yeah. think of them as the more radical feminists. And that's it's equally uh, absolutely mystifying. And frankly, though, I mean, this is one fight that I kind of enjoying it. I, I love it on both ends because. The feminists destroyed male sports with Title IX and said, okay, we've got to shut down male wrestling in order to have more funding to go into female volleyball or whatever. So the feminists wreaked havoc on male sports. And now, in a sense, the males are taking their revenge and female sports are being rendered farces. And so both sides, like to hell on both your sides, it is a mystery that the feminists are basically allowing this to go on, because if I were a feminist, I would say that this demand that males be allowed to compete against females and destroy those females' hopes for records is just what you'd expect from a toxic male. This is just yeah, what a male that's would right. do. That's right. That's and right. Yet the, feminists are, the feminists are just as browbeaten, except for, you know, J.K. Rowling, or Martina Navratilova as anybody yep. else. It's completely, it's completely yep. bizarre. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And They're you have these, it. you have these, you have these males being celebrated as Woman of the Year, and presumably the people who would make those awards are disproportionately female, and and so we are so determined. It turns out that something there's something more important than feminism. It is the destruction of all bourgeois standards of normalcy. Yeah, and feminism yeah. began that, but it is more important to say that there's no such thing 
as males and females. Yeah, that's right. And therefore, right. we can't right. expect that's traditional right. marriage and traditional child rearing and mothers and fathers. That's right. That's right. It's about he, she, right? He, she, Chekhov says, is a machine that makes fiction work, right? And makes the world go round. And the end of civilization would be to attack and break down the distinction so that there is no distinction anymore. Let's talk about the the bust. Let's talk about why born enslaved. We've got it up on the website for people to look at while we're talking about it. So this is a piece of sculpture. I don't know anything about sculpture by this Frenchman named... Carp, Carpen, Carpo, Carpo, yes, Carpo. Uh-huh. Jean-Baptiste yes, yes, Carpo, uh-huh. by born and slave, a black woman bound by a rope looking over her left shoulder with a piercing expression of defiance, incredulity and contempt. And this generally was regarded as a as a um, anti-slavery, a progressive piece of sculpture. Not so, says the Met, right? Right. And it well, has an exhibit yeah. has an exhibit called Fictions. Right. Fictions of emancipation. And it takes apart that piece of sculpture and and all sorts of other things to say that, from what I could tell from your article, virtually any representation of any black anywhere by any non-black is racist and contemptible and so on. So what's the Met for? Yeah, exactly. It, it Met now says it's for anti-racism. It has re- mm-hmm. redefined itself after the George Floyd race riots as an anti-racist institution. This is one of the examples that I talked about earlier about our institutional leaders, the people who are supposed to be the guardians of our culture, who have now turned on the very traditions that it is their privilege to curate and to pass on. And so the the Met bought this beautiful bus, 19th century portrait bus by one of the great... 19th century sculptors uh, in in France, the second only really to Rodin, um, Jean-Baptiste Capot, who did fantastic work during the uh, Beaux-Arts period. And he, he sculpted a bust of a black woman with a chain around her chest, looking over her shoulder with an a look of absolute defiance and incredulity and a poignant, piercing expression. And the bust is called Why Born Enslaved. And it's clearly an abolitionist work. It is meant to move the viewer to understand the humanity of this black woman who, for no reason, is being treated as a slave. The Met bought this sculpture in 2019 with the intention of deconstructing it and revising its own, the Met had mounted an exhibit in 2014, a large retrospective of the sculptor of Jean-Baptiste Carpeau. And it was a celebratory exhibit as well it should have been, you know, because these works are absolutely (laughs) stunning. Well, now the Met has become an anti-racist institution and it bought this one bust in order to challenge and undermine the narrative of its own 2014 institution exhibit rather. And its thesis is, is that anytime a white artist creates a work of abolitionist emancipationist art, that in fact, what that white artist is doing is reinforcing white supremacy, that there is no possibility of a white artist ever 
having a sympathetic portrait of a black or a, arguing for, for, for black freedom, because anything that a white artist does is by definition tainted by racism. And so the Met has, has put up an entire exhibition devoted to that thesis. It's called The Fictions of Emancipation. Well, the title sort of tells you everything you need. The Met believes that the very idea of emancipation is fictional because whites never, ever really want to emancipate blacks from slavery. Their entire purpose is to keep blacks enslaved. This is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You rightly ask, uh, Bill, what does the Met stand for now? What is the Met? It is not an art museum anymore. It is something very, very different. Right. Well, you just you just clarified something beautifully. My first question, which is, you know, was this 30, 40, 50 years? At the Met, it was nine years. That is, in 2014, right. it was a celebration of Rampo's art, right. or art sculpture. Yep. yep. And uh, nine years later, it's the exact opposite. It's the worst, most horrible, racist thing ever done. Okay. there. I mean, that's pretty fast turnaround, right? That's a pretty fast change of mind. Is that George Floyd? Yes. George Floyd was sort of the final statement. George, the, the mass psychosis that beset every elite American institution, or not even elite, just mainstream American institutions, you know, corporations, right. businesses, restaurants. Right, right, right. That right, was right. a long time coming. You know, it, it didn't it didn't just happen in in June of 2020 with the race riots, it, it's been a long time coming. And I remember I gave a speech at the Hoover Institute around 2016 or 2017, whenever the Jesse Smollett uh, Chicago race hoax, you know, the actor who said that he'd sure, been sure, brutally yeah. beaten by two MAGA hat wearing it at 2 a.m. and freezing Downtown Chicago. Chicago it was all a hoax. Yeah. yeah. So whatever year that was, I gave a speech saying America's white elites are going absolutely insane. They're going around trying to find these proofs of their own racism. And at the time, there was a, a line of, of women's shoes by Katy Perry that had little cutout faces on the top of the, of the shoe. These were women's flats. And somebody thought that the one that was in black and white looked like blackface. And so the entire line of shoes had to be removed because they were allegedly racist or somebody thought that some sweater by a luxury brand of Prada looked yeah, like it yeah. was somehow a, a Ku Klux Klan hood. So that had to be none of these were racist symbols. None of them had anything to do with race. Yeah, yeah. And yet we're going around spooked out of our minds, uh, trying to find signs of our own white racism. And it's just it's insane. Okay. Um, one last point. Yes. Long time coming. Not just George Floyd. But my point is the Met with a straight face could have a celebratory exhibit of this guy's sculpture in 2014. And nine years later, just blast the hell out of him. Yeah, it's it, it, that's pretty quick. very quick. Let's go to the universities and the feminization of the universities. And I have to, I have to say, I was laughing reading some of this. And I'm sorry, you'll probably think me bad but the more female ranks increase the more nervous breakdowns there are reported the more women take over the universities the more hysteria there is is that fair yeah that's 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 what i write i, I mean you know 
Remember another movie, A League of Their Own, girls baseball team, right? Semi-pro. And, and, and the line in there that got everybody and became immortal, is girls lose a game and they cry. And their coach, a guy, says, there's no crying in baseball. And that line was, you know, criticized for saying, you know, women cry. They're more likely to cry than men. But what you're telling me about the university is the more women populate it and run it, the more crying is going on. The more They're crying, just, the more whining, the more attacks yeah. on rationality, yeah. the more sense that, oh, economics is sexist. Uh, philosophy yeah. is sexist, objective standards are sexist and racist, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the psychology has long had something known as the big five personality traits. And one of those personality traits is something called neuroticism. And that basically means somebody who's high on the neuroticism score is nervous, worried, risk averse, you know, feeling depressed all the time, anxious. And females score much higher on neuroticism than males. And noticing that got poor James Damore fired from Google back in 2018 when he was trying to explain why there might not be, why there isn't 50-50 male-female gender proportionality in Google's engineers. Yeah. And he brought this out and everybody absolutely freaked out, even though this was a longstanding psychological truth. So when you have females now dominating, you have the top 75%, uh, the 75% of all Ivy League universities will have a female president by right. this fall. Right. <clears throat> Nearly half of all the top 20 universities will have a female president this fall. You have the administration is disproportionately female. The student body is now disproportionately female. Uh, that changes what gets taught and how we think about knowledge. And the more neuroticism there is, or the more neuroticism Yeah, the more risk aversion. Yeah, the, the more, I mean, we hear about this big mental health crisis on college campuses. And for years, you've had these wellness centers and mindfulness yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and, you know, the, the really well endowed ones like I, I wrote about what I called the college woke spa that Yale has this yeah. uh, happiness yeah. center and they've got you know you you rake sand and you and you play with with stuffed animals uh, and you have scented right. candles and and aromatherapy and stuff like that uh, these are all female geared uh, you know activities and and demands and needs so the mental health crisis that we keep hearing about, it's it's disproportionately female, just as, yeah, you know, the yeah. long COVID is disproportionately female. There's female, yeah. Victorians had the neurasthenia, you know, the females were always yeah. eating smelling salt. Yeah, well, we've yeah. still got that on college campuses today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my sons uh, both went to Ivy League school, talking to both of them at the same time. Uh, a few years ago, and they were talking about the the women at, at college. And um, oh, my wife brought up somebody and said, oh, "Well, she's on she's on a lot of meds." And my wife said, are, "Are a lot of the girls on a lot of meds?" And both boys said almost simultaneously, "I said they're all on. They're all on wow. stuff for depression, anxiety, 
They're, they're yep. loaded up, all of them. Yep, yep. We had that whole Prozac craze, and that sort of disappeared. Now, boys, you know, we th- thought about they're the ones that are getting drugged for a so-called attention deficit disorder. And, you know, in some cases, this may be just these are unruly boys. They're high spirits, but we're going to just drug them. But I think definitely all the antidepressants and, and stuff like that, that is definitely a female female issue. And the other thing about the universities, and I noticed this a long time ago, is the, the population, not just the administrators, but the, the girls. It's, what, 58, 42 now in terms of matriculation? Yeah. Wow. Right. And the, the boys are just they're just not cutting it or they're whatever, whatever. But, it, boy, it's dangerous out there. The young dating scene is dangerous. You're talking about it, the Yale and the, and the Sandbox young guy who used to work for me was telling me there's this girl he's kind of humorous really liked he said but she keeps making me go to this place that i really don't like but she really loves what is this it's called the cat cafe do you know about this no you go in and it's just a bunch of cats and here you cats you you get to pick a cat to have in your lap and then you get another cat to be in your lap and he said i just i just can't go take it anymore she's fabulous she's She's gorgeous. She's brilliant. But but I can't take the goddamn cats, you know. I don't understand. This is a this is like a, a private establishment, not in the university. Yeah. That it's a, yeah, it's yeah, a but it's a bar to go to pet cats. It's a uh-huh. bar. You go and have white wine, white wine and uh, and pet cats. And she <laughs> dragged him, dragged him there until he gave up, you know. Oh, God. Well, yeah. so he could have the do- why don't we have a doggy bar? Well, I guess we've got this. I mean, this is the extension, I guess, of all the damn support animals, you know. And and look, no, at, sure. those are mostly females, you know, that are carrying yeah, their yeah, little yeah, yeah. pooches and pouches on on onto airplanes. We also had the petting dogs, you know, b- before before George Floyd, there was the whole thing with with petting dogs that we brought to campus because. To law schools, you know, you had the Yale Law School was bringing petting dogs because the students were allegedly so traumatized. It's pathetic. These are, I mean, we are the most privileged generation in human history. We have everything at our fingertips. Everything is going for us. We're affluent. We've got electricity. We've got clean water. We've got clean milk. We can command the resources of the entirety of human knowledge at our fingertips through the web. And we're all going around pretending that we're so, so traumatized yeah. that we need petting dogs all the time. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's disgusting. Yeah. All right. Best for last. I, I was making my living for a couple of years after leaving government, writing a book of virtues to, uh, by giving speeches. And about a third, a quarter of my speeches were in California. Uh, and I would always be delighted to fly to San Francisco and this golden shining city and stay at one of the hotels, you know, the, at the top there, you know, the, the Fairmont or one of them and run down and run around by the wharf and up and just take delight in what was regarded as the most beautiful city in the world for many years. And you wrote an article, The Great Abdication, about California. And I mean, my God, how did that happen? How did the Golden State, how did that happen? How did that turn to, what is it, gold when gold turns to what? Yeah, I wish it was straw. Straw would be a lot nicer than uh, 
what you've got there. This is gold turning feces, frankly. It's, yeah, it's feces awful. Feces and needles. It's, what the hell? I mean, uh, and so people are leaving in large numbers, but you know, I mean, they're not 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 large percentages. You know, people still love California because it's California, but it ain't the California that I used to get excited about going to visit. You know, getting going to a great restaurant and taking the, you know, the the trolley up the hill, or not the cable car, I should say. What happened? What happened? Great abdication. That's your article. That's what happened. And Gavin Newsom's going to run for president, maybe. Maybe get elected. Yeah. Maybe get elected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that will be the real test of the country. So let me ask you this. Let's go a little bit um, south uh, to Palo Alto and Stanford. So the Stanford law students protest the judge, Judge Duncan. And he says, is there an administrator here who can help straighten us out? (laughs) Don't trouble the poor with begging, right? Um, Shakespeare says. So uh, the administrator says, oh, I've been here the whole time. And you're you're really making a mess of things, Judge. You're really making people unhappy and. So, full of sorrow and and regret and your and hurtful your remarks are hurtful and so you know I, I i listened to some so-called learned commentary on this from if you will the right side and it wasn't so learned they said well wait till these kids get out and go into the real world and i thought i don't I, 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 that re- the real world has been changed by stanford law school right i mean it used to be that you, you got all this junk in the, in the academy and then you went out and you found out what the real world was like but the academy kind of transformed the the, the corporations didn't it the companies the academics yeah did. yeah corporations are terrified of their employees and and ceos are terrified <sighs> of their wives so you have again the the females are predominant they're much more left-wing than males they much more believe in uh, suppressing freedom of speech in favor of preventing so-called harm. But yeah, I mean, Google is, is dominated by a left-wing workforce, Twitter, all the big tech companies, and Disney. They're all terrified of their employees so that these colleges and law schools and medical schools are belching forth another ground of, of indoctrinated graduates every year who then move the rest of society ever further left um republicans don't always get it right or nearly right sometimes but they're trying some of them but democrats it seems to me are just blessing all of this i haven't even mentioned the border for god's sakes but i I, the latest thing here here's this i think liberal column journalist matt taibbi and he's writing about the corruption of, you know, t- Twitter and FBI and all this. And and the day he's set to testify, two IRS agents show up at his doorstep. Uh, did you know about that? I read about it. Yeah, I've just read one article about it. So, so I mean, I, I, wouldn't there be wouldn't there be some members of the press other than Newsmax and Fox to make some objection to this? His buddies? Doesn't Taibbi have buddies in the journalistic core i mean no 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 democrats they skewered him they skewered him in the hearing liberal journalist in good standing yeah i mean that's a good point you would think that there would be solidarity among journalists and and the 
sense of uh, keep your grubby mitts off of us government, but the journalism world is as left wing as ever. You know, you had the one of the ma- managing editors at the New York Times being run out of the paper because he yeah. dared publish, solicited yeah. and published an op-ed by Tom Cotton, Tom Cotton. Yeah. on using federal troops to quell the George Floyd race riots. And uh, this is a perfectly reasonable thing to have a a sitting senator making a constitutional argument for why this is legitimate. And yet he was kicked out because they, the, the, especially the black uh, staffers at the, at the New York times claimed that the very fact that this op-ed ran put them at risk, that their safety was compromised. Um, And, you know, are they saying, because you're like rioters yourselves or, or what, but, but it's just playing the usual emotional safety card. So, and you had another New York Times science author who was kicked out because he used the so-called N-word in a discussion with a student group that he had taken on a, a science tour. And this is a guy who is their climate reporter, you know, so he's fully left-wing in that respect. So, you know, there is no longer any solidarity among journalists if you're seen as uh, not towing the complete left-wing line. They'll just let you twist in the wind. I, I, you know, I really, really hope that this FBI uh, showing up to say, well, you've got some problems with two of years worth of returns is random, because if it's not, if that really is targeting, then all is lost. All is truly lost. If, yeah. we are, if we're yeah. really sticking the forces of government on people who have raised the most minor of objections then we are very much like the Soviet Union. And that's very, very scary. Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't you have said we were lost when the FBI went to Facebook, said don't run this stuff? Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much lost as well. Same. It is. Yeah. Maybe we're lost. Yeah. Is that a curtain? Maybe to you? we are. I mean, uh, I, know, I know we're not supposed to say this as conservatives, but I, I, I sort of like the idea of succession because really, I, I don't see how we find common ground at this point. And I know that you're not supposed to say that. We're supposed to believe in power of discourse. But if, if, there's, if you can't even agree that there are biological males and biological females, and you cannot change that because chromosomes are present everywhere, it, then I, I don't know what we can possibly agree on. We don't yeah. agree, certainly, on what the founding nature of this government is. Although I, I'm, I have to say, I'm, I'm sympathetic a little bit to the 1619 project, not in its revision of what the founding of this country was about, but, but I think that the conservative narrative about America is, is too quickly whitewashing the fact that we were a white, yeah. a white supremacist country for a very long time. The, yeah, all no. of our ideals. Every time we talk about Oh, we're a country of equality and freedom. I always have to say now, but what about blacks? You know, to say that is mean you're writing blacks out of the picture. So, so I think there's some ground for a revisionism even now. Even now, that having been said, uh, the the divisions are so great that I it's hard to know how we hold together. No, I know you're right. I, I'm thinking about Douglas's, you know, Fourth of July speech. Yes. Yes, you know, I, I, said, I, you know it's a, that is true. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
it, it's the, one of the greatest speeches ever good, and, and good. conservative history, conservative history. I mean, I recently reviewed for Claremont review of books, a Christmas selection of books. And one of the ones I reviewed was Steve Van Woodward's The Strange Career of Jim Crow. And I quoted a speech that the former head of the American Enterprise Institute had given that was reprinted in full in the Wall Street Journal. And he's rolling out the usual boilerplate about America being a land of perpetual, you know, entrepreneurship and wonderful creativity, individualism, blah, blah. And he also said that the 1950s were a time of unusual civility in the U.S. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Black children were being blown up in the South. Black students were being beaten to keep them from enrolling in colleges. The the police forces were turning cannons, water ball, destroying people. This to say that it was a time of civility means that you are writing the black experience out of our history. So that kind of narrative at this point turns my stomach. I have to say. Sure. I'm writing a history curriculum for the schools. I don't think I made that mistake. I hope not. Um, what do you mean by succession? Well, you know, I'd, I'd love to get part of California back. You know, it just seems oh, like it's maybe happening. Oh, you anyway. mean secession, yeah. not succession. Yeah, succession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. oh all right. Secession's fine. What, a revolution? Uh, great awakening? Something big has to happen. Uh, what, what are the odds? Populist revolution? Uh, second term of Trump? Uh, God knows. Oh, God, no. No, no, I know, no. I know. I know. I know. No, no. That that'll that will that will blow us up in a civil blow war us up. for no good reason at all. Yeah. I know because he's yeah. I know because yeah. I know. What do we do? What do we do about the Met and about the universities, about Stanford Law School, and about San Francisco? And what what do we do? People have to stop apologizing. They have to say, I'm not going to be frightened of being called a racist or a sexist. Okay. I'm going to okay. speak the truth as I see it. I'm not going to apologize. You can't, you can't silence me by calling me a racist. And the people that have been given the privilege of curating science, of curating art, of curating literature, the law, uh, they have to stand up to their traditions and, and no longer be browbeaten into silence. So we need courage and, and we've got to try that and see what happens. You know, I think if, if somebody just refuses to back down and refuses to apologize, one can hope that the left will lose interest or turn away. And if it doesn't, then I don't know, we'll have to take the next step. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure I would have the courage to, use full government power to shut things down. But somebody like DeSantis seems to have that courage. He's not going to be dissuaded by charges that he's infringing on academic freedom or whatnot. So the, the, the left has used power against the right. As soon as the right starts using power back, the left starts crying, oh, you're destroying academic freedom. You're politicizing education. After the left yeah. politicized education for the last 60 years. So... You know, at some point, I guess we're going to have to start when we have the levers of of government power, using it to try and take the institutions back. Will we ever have the levers again? I'm getting worried about that. 
I don't well, know. I'm a pessimist too. I'm a pessimist too. I believe me. Um, I, I tend to see a, one constant string of failures on the part of conservatives and the spreading power of the left. I, I just don't know. And of course, if the left can control the information flow of the internet, whatnot, that, that makes it very hard to organize. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So plus entertainment, and, plus know, the media, plus the universities, plus the schools. You know, I've been paying more attention to, you know, my my tribe here, the schools. And, you know, I thought maybe the CRT and gender fluidity and just was a here and there thing. It's not it's 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 I won't say it's everywhere, but it's in a whole lot of places, a lot of bad stuff. And your average social studies teacher doesn't call himself a history teacher is left wing. And your average course is left wing. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I was on Larry Kudlow's show yesterday and he, you know, he said, well, it's the economic circumstances that's creating this pessimism. I said, well, they're, they're, they're not helping. That's for sure. I said, but you know, we, we sort of cut the heart out of people. Right. And everybody's afraid to say anything. Speak up. Yeah, you're right. Well, Speak it. up. Speak up. Courage. Speak up. Pericles. Speak or, up. Pericles says courage is the secret of democracy. If one person speaks up, more will. And if you yeah. see that you don't get killed, more will do it. So that's where we've got to start. But you might get killed. You know, yeah. one of the one yeah. of the polls of the students is. Uh, it's okay to use violence against people with whom you fundamentally disagree. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yep. Okay. Thank you, Heather. You're brave. You got courage. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank Bill, you very for much. talking with you. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Podcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and your friends. We'll catch up next week. 